All right. Well, we are, we are finishing up a little mini series that we've been doing kind of the whole month of April on the cross and sin and repentance. And we've really been looking a lot at just the work of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so to, to wrap that up this morning, we're talking about our response to the cross, our response to the cross. Now, I want to be upfront with you. There's really two things that go hand in hand, and it's almost weird kind of preaching a sermon that's going to focus on just one of them. Um, but we're, we're going to talk this morning about repentance. But forgiveness goes hand in hand with that. We are just singing that. It's like God's forgiveness and great love for us is so powerful. And so I just want to encourage you guys, earlier in the year, we, we spent a Sunday talking about the power of forgiveness, God's forgiveness for us, and us learning to extend forgiveness well to one another. And so if you missed that, it really is a great kind of companion to this topic. And so it was a sermon that we preached on February 21st. So if you want to go back in the podcast, if you missed it, you can listen to it. Um, but I just want to note, like repentance and forgiveness, they go together, okay? And so God has forgiven us and he encourages us to forgive one another. But we're going to talk this morning about, about the power of us responding to the cross with repentance, and so to set the tone for this, I just want to encourage you this morning in two ways, okay? The first thing I want to encourage you to do as you're just listening to this this morning is be open to anything specific the Lord wants to highlight. Like if there's, if there's some area in your life that maybe it's known already, like you hear me say the word repentance, you're immediately like, ooh, that thing. <laughs> you already know. Or, or maybe there's times where we're just walking in something that we've been a little blind to, we haven't recognized be open to allowing the Lord just to highlight any area where there's a need for some change, a change of direction, dealing with an issue. Um, let him speak to you on that because it's an invitation for healing and wholeness and restoration. It's a good thing. And so be open to that. But the other thing I wanna encourage you with this morning is even if there's not like a specific thing the Lord puts his finger on, a big part of our walk with Jesus, it's not just about our initial moment of repentance and giving our life to him. He's in the process, our whole lives on this earth, of renewing us, making us new, sanctifying us. And so we really are invited into a way of life where, you know, repentance means, Lord, I'm turning to you and walking with you. And so there's going to be things all along the way he wants to deal with. And so I hope this can be equipping to us of how do I posture myself to, to live a life where I'm just being renewed and restored all the time? Am I, am I open to the work of repentance God wants to do in my life, okay? So that's where we're going. So our text this morning is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up in kids' church, you, know, you probably just remember Zacchaeus is the short guy that had to climb up the tree, right? Everybody remember that? You know, people, people still, you know, theologians debate to this day who's the shortest guy in the Bible. Was it Zacchaeus who had to climb up the tree or was it Nehemiah? I'm not, not sure. They're still trying to figure it out. Hey, that was that corny. Listen, every now and then I just have to hearken back to all those years I spent in like kids ministry and youth ministry. So you got to put up with it. Sorry, it's in my DNA, my DNA. But um, we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus and maybe look a little beyond just his stature physically and see what we can maybe learn from this story. So we're going to start by just, it's 10 verses. We're just going to read this story together this morning and then we'll pray and dive into this. All right. So here we go. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. 
Um, now listen, if, if you were watching like an old play, this would be the moment where the people in the know in the audience, they would boo and hiss, all right? That, those, those words, he was a tax collector and was rich, that should trigger us like, oh, he's the bad guy. And as we'll see a moment, the people in town who knew him, they got that. They understood who this guy was. This, 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 uh, his, his, he was infamous, all right? He was infamous. And so here's Zacchaeus in this town, but verse three tells us something really cool. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. There was just this little longing in his heart this little draw, who is this Jesus? What's he really about? But on account of the crowd, he could not see him because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowds, the other people, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. God, thank you for your heart towards us, your heart of invitation that however distant we might be from you, God, whatever sins and struggles that we have, God, if our reputation too is infamous in town, God, that you desire to draw near to us. You want to come and make your home with us. God, thank you that you are seeking us and saving us. God, would you do that work in our hearts this morning? May this word come alive. May we hear what you wanna say to us today. God, may we have responsive hearts as well to whatever you're putting your finger on. If this is just a, a good, warm reminder of the power of repentance in our lives, what you've rescued us from in the past, God, may it fill us with gratitude. God, if you wanna put your finger on something today that needs to change, would you do that? Lord, would you equip all of us to be open to the restoring work you wanna do throughout our lives? We yield to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So every, every so often I mention uh, my pets. I've learned a lot over the years, believe it or not, in my relationship with the Lord through my pets. I've learned a lot through my children. Um, I learn a lot from my wife and our relationship, but I learn a lot from my pets. And one of the things that one of my pets is notorious for is my dog Charlie is notorious for getting in the trash. And in fact, he did that this morning and I, I saw it and I, I'm just, this is, this is my re repentance to my wife right now. I saw it when I got up at 5 a.m. to get my first cup of coffee and I just didn't have it in me. And I just stared at it, poured the coffee and went back to my little office to prep for this morning. And we haven't even talked about this yet. Did you clean it? Oh, our kids took, 
dude, okay, good on my kids. They, some, one of my kids cleaned up Charlie's mess this morning. All right, you didn't even know it. Okay, well, wonderful. Well, then I'll apologize to one of them and not you. Um, so there's my repentance this morning. But, but Charlie, the thing about Charlie is he has this look that he uses. Like he has the classic puppy dog eyes, right? He just, he has that face, the ears go back. He's got the big eyes. And can I just tell you something? Those are lying eyes. <laughs> he doesn't really repent. He says sorry because he doesn't want to get in trouble, but he doesn't repent. And it struck these, me this morning as I was seeing that trash, I'm reminding of, of my dog who doesn't ever really repent. He is going to get back in that trash every chance he gets. That true repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry I got caught. Can I get out of trouble? Will this person let me off the hook? It's about more than that. We're talking about repentance this morning. And repentance, when done rightly, is about renouncing sin. It's about turning away from, and it's about turning towards a new way. This isn't about perfection. I don't mean to imply that like, Repentance means I'll never ever make a mistake again, but it's about my aim. I'm done with that. I'm done with that lifestyle. I'm done with that struggle. I'm making a turn away from that. I'm turning towards the Lord. I'm choosing a new direction in life. And even if I continue to battle that a bit, I'm on the road to moving away from that sin and struggle and towards my Savior because he's the one that sets me free. And so I just, I wanna to talk to us a bit this morning about repentance, how we, how we make that turn, what helps that turn stick? How does repentance work in our lives? And so we're gonna look just briefly at a couple of verses in Acts chapter three, you know, really early on, Peter is standing up and he's just preaching the gospel of Jesus. You know, the church is being born because people are sharing the story of what Jesus has done for us. And so we get a glimpse of this in Acts chapter three, verse 19, Peter just says very simply, repent therefore and turn back, right? There's that turning away, that's, there's that change. Why? That your sins may be blotted out. That should be like really good news to us. There is a way for the stain of sin to be blotted out, you ever had just like a, a, a bad stain on a shirt you really like? It's like, man, I just don't know if I'm gonna ever be able to wear that one again. Like, I just can't get it out. But because of the power of Jesus, when we repent, he can truly blot out our sin, remove the stain of it. And so Peter says, like, here's the invitation. Choose to repent, choose to turn away and watch what God does to make that new, to remove that sin. And so repentance is a new direction and it's sin being removed or done away with, done away with. Now, Peter doesn't stop there. When sin is done away with and we choose this new direction, it enables us to, to walk into something wonderful. Look at the next verse, verse 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Crystal telling us to 
appropriate for ourselves individually God's gracious love. It's rooted in that. Our Jesus, he's the Christ appointed for me. He's the one I've needed and been looking for. And he wants to bring refreshing. Now we could camp on that for like the rest of the morning. Because so much of what sin is about is it's, it's us looking for something, believing that, that we're gonna receive something that it can't fulfill. In some form or fashion, my sin is, is me trying to arrange for myself to get a hold of something that's gonna comfort me, satisfy me, fill in the blank. And so when God comes, he does, he does a couple really cool things. Number one, all the ways that sin has destroyed, he wants to heal that. It's hold that it's had on us. He wants to break the chains of that. But he wants to replace this new way of life where all of the stuff that we're longing for, that, that sin left unfulfilled, and in fact instead left a damaging wake, he wants to come and refresh and restore and heal. It's found in him. And so this is what repentance does. Look, Zacchaeus got to experience this. Consider what happens. He hears Jesus is coming. He's eager to, to check it out. Just get a glimpse of like, is this real? Like, is he really the guy that I've heard these stories about? Can he really do that thing in my life? He just wants to catch a glimpse. And look what happens when he has this personal interaction with Jesus. When his Jesus, his Christ interacts with him, I love this, verses five and six again in Luke 19. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him. Now we, we know just a couple verses before Jesus was just passing through Jericho. All indications are he wasn't planning on staying there. He was just passing through. In fact, believe it or not, he's on his way to Jerusalem. This is, this is like Palm Sunday. He's on his way to the cross in Jerusalem. He's passing through Jericho on his way there and he stops and he makes eye contact with Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus is why he's heading to Jerusalem and the cross because he came to seek and to save the lost. And so he pauses, he makes eye contact. There's this personal connection. He looks up and he says to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. I'm not embarrassed by you. I'm not ashamed to be associated with you. I don't care what everybody else is gonna say. I wanna come be with you. And, and that reality landed. The significance of this gracious Jesus who wasn't ashamed or shaming him who wasn't condemning him. He's saying, hey, I'm here for you. Come on down and join me. Come on in. The refreshing water is fine. And so he invites him. And look at Zacchaeus' response. This is a repentant response. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. I love that. That's repentance. I recognize the incredible invitation for change, the incredible invitation to be forgiven, to be refreshed, to be restored. I see Jesus personally, and I just, I respond by running to him. And so he has this hurried response to come to Jesus with joy. 
Listen, friends, repentance is associated with, with pain and with grief, and that is true to a degree. But my hope is that we would also make the connection that repentance is joyful. Because on the heels of repentance is freedom and newness of life. Joy should be associated with repentance. This is what Paul is talking about when he writes his second letter to the Corinthians, where he brought some scolding and some correction in the first letter. He wants to encourage them, you've now responded to that. And it's produced something wonderful. And so look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. As it is, I rejoice. Why? Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. God speaking the truth in love to let us see what we need to see to make us deal with and own up to the sin that is destroying us and probably hurting people around us. It's, it's God's gracious act of love that would grieve us to the point where we would repent. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. My sin has produced a lot of regret in my life. God's grace is unique. One of the ways I can tell the difference between the enemy shaming me or making me feel condemned or my own like loop, I can get it in my head where I just beat myself up over and over again that is an unhealthy grief that leads to guilt and shame and condemnation. But godly grief wounds us in a good way. Scripture says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like a, a true friend will love you enough to tell you the truth, but they're not doing it to push you away. They're doing it to put an arm around you and say, hey, it's time, it's time for us to step out of this. Well, Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. God will faithfully wound us in a godly way that, that brings us into repentance. And Paul says, this gets me excited for you. It makes me rejoice. Zacchaeus responds in joy because of those words like that godly grief that leads to salvation without regret. There's freedom on the other side of this. Whereas what does worldly grief produce? Death. I believe so many of us can get stuck in the, in the cycle of sin and, and of a form of repentance that's more like the, you know, my joke about Charlie, like the puppy eyes that just kind of, I'm sorry I got caught. And we get stuck in that cycle because what we're experiencing is worldly grief that just leads to more death and guilt and shame and the cycle continues. The cross breaks the cycle. Yes. When we recognize God's love enough to go, hey, Jurger, I wanna put my finger on this specific thing because I love you and I got good stuff for you. If you'll, if you'll see this, you'll see my love right there too. Washing clean, making new, free of regret and shame. 
Godly grief, godly sorrow leads to repentance. And friends, it saves us. That salvation, like that's the ultimate salvation we have in Christ. We belong to him forever. But listen, I have had things that I have struggled with for long periods of my time in my walk with Christ that I needed rescued from. And there are some places where I can point back and go, God, you broke the cycle there and I am so thankful. Thank you for that freedom. And it even gives me hope for places where maybe I'm still stuck to go, God, I'm desperate for that breakthrough. Help me to, to, to hate that sin and love you. God, get, instill in me some godly grief that will lead me to true repentance that I might experience freedom. Freedom. He has that for us. See, Paul talks about this in Romans 2.4 where he says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God doesn't lead us to repentance by rubbing our faces in our sin. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Jesus picks up on this theme, and of all places, the book of Revelation. He's got some stuff to say to his church, by the way. He's not just, he's not talking in his letter, his letters to the churches in Revelation. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to saved people about things they need to repent of. And he says to the church in Laodicea in Revelations 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. When you hear be zealous, remember Zacchaeus in the tree. He hurried up and came down and ran to Jesus and received him joyfully. It's God's love and his kindness that draws us to repentance. Anybody grateful for that? Anybody in here received that in your past? Man, like my hand's up. <laughs> and you know what? I'm gonna need it in the future, I'm sure. I'm grateful for that. All right, so that's repentance. Now, I wanna talk to you guys about a couple of key things that are a part of the process of repentance. These are a couple of key things that will help us be sure that I haven't just done the puppy dog eyes, I'm sorry I got caught. These are things that help repentance really take root in our life. Okay, and so we're gonna talk about bearing the fruits of repentance. Bearing the fruits of repentance. Uh, first idea where, our first verse we're gonna look at that kind of explores this a bit is actually John the Baptist who's come and he's preparing the way for Jesus. And, and he's, he's talking to all the people who've gathered to come and be baptized. Like they're ready for a turnaround and a life change. But a lot of them are just coming to watch him. They're not really there to change. They're just kind of checking things out. And among them are the Jewish leaders who are watching him skeptically. And so he's, he's telling these people, it's time to repent, like for real. And in Luke 3, 8, he's talking about how important it is for them to have true repentance. And he says in Luke 3, 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. 
In other words, don't just trust in your reputation or your heritage like, oh, I'm, I'm a Jew, and so therefore I'm, I'm in God's family and I'm good. No, 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 this is a personal decision you need to make to walk in real repentance and not this kind of false pretending hypocrisy. Now, if you think that just applied for the Jews, well, look at what Paul talks about here as he talks about how he was compelled by God to share and spread the gospel. And he says these words in Acts 26, 20. I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, then throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles. That's me and you. And what did he do? I don't know, I need to find my place. There it is. That they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Same concept. Bearing the fruit of repentance. It's what we're called to. Now, what I think is really cool about this is Jesus used the same phrase John the Baptist used. John the Baptist said, when, when you're kind of holding repentance at arm's length, don't kind of use this excuse of we have Abraham as our father. And when Jesus says that salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house, he calls him a true son of Abraham. Isn't that neat? Because he's saying he's doing what Abraham did. In actual faith, he's responding to God in a personal way. For us, the way this might apply to us is not being Christian in name only. Not just I wear the badge of a churchgoer, but I, I've truly adopted the mindset of living a, a repentant life. I'm not, I'm not just playing games. I'm not putting on the false mask. Now listen, I think sometimes the church is getting blamed and accused of things that aren't fair. Like we're broken people walking towards Jesus, walking with Jesus together. So we're gonna sin and make mistakes. But there is, there is a reason why a lot of the church has the reputation of being hypocrites. Where we don't really intend to live a true life of repentance that's turned from old stuff and turned to Jesus. And the world sees it. Like we're fooling nobody. People see through the hypocrisy. And so what John the Baptist is talking about, what Paul is talking about is like, guys, let's not, let's not just take on the name Christian. Let's live as sons of Abraham. Let's live as true Christians. Like, let's really repent and receive freedom in Christ. And then we have what, what a story to share with the world. I just wonder what would happen in our country if the church was, was really adopting a posture of true repentance. Like, I think things are a mess in the world. I think things are a mess in our country. I'm concerned about what I see politically and economically and socially and morally and all of that. It's broken, but listen, that's because the world's lost. The people outside the church are always gonna look broken. And when the vast majority of a culture is broken, people who haven't responded to Jesus, guess what? It's gonna look that way. But what would happen if the church was like truly this, this church that had been marked by repentance? Like I was walking in repentance and then I was extending the gracious, loving kindness of God where I'm walking around like Jesus 
extending an invitation to Zacchaeus. I believe people would flock to Jesus. Because when Jesus is actually seen for who he really is, that's what Zacchaeus saw, right? He saw Jesus for who he really was. Jesus draws people to himself. He said that's what would happen. When I am high and lifted up, I will draw all men. It starts in the church house, being people of repentance. Not playing games, not halfway, not wearing fake masks that are fooling no one anyways. It just keeps us in bondage. True repentance. So what are these deeds of repentance? I want you to take note of how this worked out specifically in Zacchaeus' life. Back to Luke 19, verse nine now. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. See, Jesus Jesus makes the connection here where here is a despised outsider that has been brought near. So see, the first thing to realize before I get into the steps we are gonna take of true repentance, I've got to see the step Jesus has taken. I've gotta recognize myself as a despised outsider who God loves and has moved towards And so my deeds of repentance are simply responding to his first move towards me. And then as I respond to that move towards him, that responsive heart is what Jesus is pointing out to. Here's what Jesus saw that was responsive in Zacchaeus. Verse eight, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Friends, there are two specific keys or fruits of repentance that we see here. The first one is confession, and the second one is restoration. Confession. Notice what he says. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, he's being personal and he's being specific. He's letting Jesus know what he's intending to do. Jesus, I'm committing before you that I'm gonna sit down and identify who are the specific people I have hurt. And then in the very specific ways I have hurt them, I'm gonna deal with it. Confession, it's specific, it's tangible. We've, we've gotta get out of this habit of like these fake apologies where it's like, well, if I did something to hurt you, I'm sorry. That is BS. I wish I had a softer way to say it. That's garbage. These half apologies, if I did anything to hurt you, I'm sorry, that's bogus. Specific, tangible. This is what I did. Now, now, I understand that there are times where we've hurt someone, we don't know it. I get that. So there might be times where we need to go, hey, did I, did I do something here? I, Chris, feels like there's something between us, but it's an invitation for you to be specific. Hey, bro, did I hurt you? And if I've missed, like, that's okay. Like, if we didn't, don't understand, that's okay, but I still seek to figure it out. But if I know what I did, let's not do this bogus thing where it's like, if I did something, I'm sorry. That is not an apology. Confession. It's specific. It's, you know, it values the person. 
It says, Julie, I, I honor you and recognize like my thing that I did, it's hurt you. I'm sorry for that. Confession. It's all throughout the scripture. I wanna give you a, a taste of this. First John chapter one, verses seven through nine. But if we will walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. See that, that repentant way, that turning to a new way, that's walking in the light. And when I'm in the light, it means I can be connected, have true fellowship. Not something fake or false because there's hidden stuff between us we haven't dealt with. I'm in the light. We've dealt with it. It's out there. And so we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. See, fellowship isn't based in perfect relationships where nothing grows, goes wrong. Fellowship is based in real relationships where we acknowledge going in, I'm gonna mess up. And you are too. We're gonna hurt one another. But we're gonna choose to operate by being in the light. We're gonna bring real stuff into the light. And because of the blood of Jesus, we can be cleansed and we can have fellowship with each other. We can walk in wholeness again. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wonder how many of us are still stuck because we haven't confessed our sins. We're called to confess. We confess to the Lord and we confess one to another. James built on this in James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's the refreshing the Lord wants to bring. But see, fear keeps us from confessing. We protect, we hide, and that keeps us in the dark and it keeps us stuck. Now, confession doesn't mean I committed a sin, I'm gonna go tell the hundred people I know. But like God uniquely places some people in our lives. First of all, the person I hurt, I need to go back and confess to them. Maybe I need a little accountability and so there's a couple brothers or sisters in my life that I walk with. Maybe I've got a mentor or a friend or a life group member or whatever. There is power in confessing our sins one to another. It cleanses and it brings healing. And, and here's, here's a really cool secret that it does. It does that for me, but it opens up the door for that to do that for other people. When someone else takes the risk to say, I did this and I am sorry. And we watch them walk in that humility. It tells me I can do the same thing. It invites me into, anybody ever experienced that before? I have in some powerful ways. I've just had these moments of like forgiveness and reconciliation or, or like sit with a group of guys who are finally willing to get real and go, man, this thing has been eating my lunch and I'm, I just need to say it out loud and man, I'm sorry and I'm just confessing it to y'all. And then watching the power of what happens when people go, dude, me too. Or mine's different, but here's mine. And we step into freedom and we step into healing. Confession is powerful. Guys, don't bypass that. I feel like we talk a lot in church circles about repenting and forgiveness, but there is a hinge point there of confession that is so powerful.
if we'll step into it. Confession brings healing. It disarms the power and hold of sin. That's the deal. Once sin is exposed, there's no more power. Has no power over me because its power is in the dark. Its power is in the bondage of guilt and shame. And when its power is disarmed, man, there's freedom. And so that's what it does. Now, the second one, restoration. Look at what Zacchaeus does next. After committing to confession, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I just, I love how specific that is. Anyone of anything, I'm gonna deal with it. And then he goes on to say, I'm gonna restore it fourfold. I'm not just gonna confess. I'm gonna do what's in my power to do to restore. I'm gonna do what I can do to restore, to bring restoration. Friends, if confession brings healing to me, restoration begins to bring healing to the person that's been hurt and could possibly even bring healing to the relationship. Not always, not necessarily, because there's two parties involved. But it can open the pathway to a restored relationship. But I can at least begin to initiate healing in the other person's life. I'm acknowledging that I did a real thing that had real damage by confessing. And by doing what I'm able to do to restore the person, I'm opening a path for healing. Now, this, this, this idea of restoration or another biblical word around this is restitution. Like kind of like I'm, I'm recovering back to you what was lost, what was stolen. This concept is picked up in a few places in the Old Testament. Exodus 22 is a passage you could read all about this. Like there's all these laws around how to bring restitution when there's brokenness. Numbers chapter five is another example. And I'll give you a glimpse of this in Leviticus 5.16. And he shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. Restitution is about doing what I can to restore. It's not just washing my hands of it. Oh, I got that guilty conscience off my chest. I'm good. Now you go deal with it. It's what I can do to bring restitution. Now, a lot of Christians struggle with this concept. Like there's this wrestling match where like, hey, in the New Testament, is restitution really biblically accurate? Like didn't Jesus kind of take care of that? That's like old, Old Testament stuff, right? Like Jesus paid it all. And there's an element that is true in that. Jesus did pay it all. But what we're doing by restoring what we are able to restore when something has been broken is we're participating with him. He's the ultimate restorer. He's the ultimate redeemer. In fact, there's some damage I've caused in people's lives that I can't possibly restore. There are emotional damages, physical, maybe even financial. Like there's damages that maybe I can't restore. Well, thank God that he is the ultimate redeemer and he is the ultimate restorer. But guys, love calls us to cooperate with him in the process he wants to do. And if it is within my power to bring some restoration in a situation, I should do it. I should do it. There's a great picture of this. Like if, if we struggle with this concept of restoring a restitution, there's just a powerful picture. 
David gets confronted by the prophet Nathan in the Old Testament. David has committed adultery and then when he realized he wasn't gonna get away with it and be able to keep it a secret because he got her pregnant, he arranged to have the woman's husband killed by being sent to the front lines. This is like as bad as it gets. I don't know all of y'all's stories, but I'm, I'm pretty sure no one's committed murder in this room to cover up adultery. And even if I'm wrong about that, there's something to be learned from this story. Now, Nathan is brilliant. I, I love the prophet Nathan. So he comes to David to give him a faithful wound from a friend because he knows repentance is needed because David thinks it's all just done and clean and I got away with it. Nathan's like, uh, no, God saw that and this isn't over yet. And he comes to him and he tells him a story about a rich guy who had tons of sheep, but he wanted the one sheep that the poor man had. And he stole it, took it, killed it, ate it. He points out an example of someone who has done damage to someone else. And David hears that story, and listen to this. 2 Samuel 12, verse five through the first part of verse seven. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man in Nathan's story that stole the sheep. And said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you're the man. You wanna know how I know restitution is right? Because when we're the one that something's been stolen from, we believe in restitution. That's how I know it's right. I'm immediately aware of the need for justice. When wrong has been done to me, when I've lost something important or precious to me, I believe wholeheartedly in restitution, restitution and justice. The only time I don't wanna hear it is when somebody's looking at me going, you're the man. <laughs> you did the stealing. Now wait, hold on a minute. Jesus paid it all here. He did. He did. He paid it all. He forgives. God is, is, is at work in this world even now, redeeming and restoring. And the ultimate fulfillment of that is coming again, when Jesus comes again. God would love it if more and more of his people would participate with him in what he's trying to do in this world. If more and more of us would buy into the idea of working with our redeemer and our restore, say, God, where can I do my part in that? What, how can I participate in this process? Here's, here's, here's the bottom line, okay? The bottom line is love works to restore. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 13, verses eight through 10. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Friends, true biblical restoration, it's not about owing something to someone else, okay? It's about loving. That's what it's about. 
and, and by the way, this goes both ways. Like, as I come to deal with the reality of my sin and the damage it's caused in my life and the damage it's maybe caused in others, and I respond in repentance to the Lord, and I begin to recognize the, the freedom and the healing that I'm receiving from him, and I begin to go, man, I love this person enough that I need to go and make this right. Look what God's doing in my life. I need to do what I can to bring restoration here. And so I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna confess. And, I'm, and where I'm able, I'm gonna work to bring restoration. I'm gonna work to make it right. And here's the deal, guys. Some of us can operate with this idea that by me taking that step, it means they now owe me the response of forgiving me. Or they now owe me the response of our relationship being okay again. And sometimes because we've accepted and received the forgiveness of God, we will turn around the very people that we've hurt. We're now putting expectations on them. Well, you should just take me back. I said I was sorry. I tried to make it right. No, no, no. I'm not doing this now to put a new debt on them. Oh, I made it right, so now you owe me relationship. I'm doing my part. Just a few verses prior to this, Paul says these words in Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I believe God does miraculous things to heal and restore broken relationships that can seem beyond repair. I believe he does that. It takes a whole lot of miraculous things taking place. It takes someone walking out what we're talking about this morning. True repentance, confession, restitution. It takes someone else walking out what we preached on back in February about forgiveness. And it takes God in the middle of all of it working miraculously to heal, to restore, to bring forgiveness and maybe even over time to rebuild trust. Guys, we're on a journey to being restored, to being made new, and repentance is a key part of this. And repentance is not about getting out of a bad situation, and it's not about manipulating someone else to just get our relationship back to normal. It's not about any of that. It's about me walking the road to repentance that God's called me to and entrusting him with all the things I can't fix. I'm trusting him to forgive me. That's pretty powerful. I'm gonna trust him to restore what I can't restore. God, show me what I can bring to the table to make restitution, but ultimately you are the restorer and you are the redeemer and I'm trusting you with it. Here's my hope, friends that we would learn to bear fruits in keeping with repentance, that we would recognize its healing power in our lives, that we would experience that kind of restoration. I wanna leave you with this final thought. It's kind of a cool little note. Zacchaeus' name, it means pure one, pure one. And that word pure, it holds in it the idea of something that's clear or transparent nothing to hide. Zacchaeus had the name, but then he met the name that is above all names. And he became the pure one because of Christ. He became the pure one 
because he walked in repentance, because he decided, I've got nothing to hide. I've got no territory to defend. God, I'm just gonna come to you and repent and trust you to do what only you can do. You know, the story ends and we don't know if his reputation changed at all. We have no idea, but he committed to do his part. I'm gonna confess. I'm gonna do what I can to restore. And Jesus, I'm yours now. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. That's the power of responding to the cross in repentance. Let's pray. Jesus, I am just continually blown away at what you have done for me and what you continue to still do for me. God, I pray this morning in my own life, in the lives of our church family here today, Lord, if there's anything specific you wanna put your finger on, that we would see it and respond to it, that we'd recognize it as an act of your love and your kindness, that you'd bring godly grief that would lead to repentance, that would produce healing, refreshing, and joy in our lives. God, if we're somewhere in this, or if there's even something going on recently where it's like, man, I've kind of done that first part of repentance, but I haven't really confessed and owned it and dealt with it. Or maybe I've had some of the conversations, but there's a step I need to take to bring restoration. God, would you help us see what that might be? And then, Lord, ultimately, just big picture, would you help us to be people who live responsive lives, that we would be open to the restoring work you wanna do in us and in our relationships. What a testimony to the world of your great love for us. May we walk in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.